Hey, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to Mornings with Mac. Uh, it's storming uh, in Birmingham, and uh, the lighting was just poor uh, in uh, by the window, so I'm having to come into the study this morning. I hope you've got a copy of God's Word. You're going to need it. Uh, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, you're going to get the second prayer of Christ on the cross as he cries out to the Father. And um, it is the fourth saying uh, that is going to catch you by surprise. You know, there was no surprise, honestly, when you hear Jesus pray, Father, forgive them uh, for they know not what they do. That really doesn't surprise you because here in Matthew's gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught us to pray for those who persecute you, for those who mistreat you, to pray for your enemies. Uh, have you ever done that? Uh, I've had to do that even this week, uh, to pray for people that have mistreated me. Uh, you have to do that. Jesus taught us to do that. And um, it's really no surprise that Jesus would begin uh, these words from the cross with a prayer of forgiveness for those who were persecuting him. So that doesn't surprise us. Uh, it doesn't surprise us when Jesus turns to the thief and he looks at him and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, that doesn't surprise us because Jesus told us uh, in, math, in Luke chapter 19, he said, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what he does. He came to forgive. He came to save. So the second word from the cross, uh, that word of forgiveness, that word of salvation, they don't surprise us because that's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus does. When you come to the third word that we looked at yesterday, when Jesus turns and he cares for his mother, a woman, behold your son. And then he reinstates John. He gives John a responsibility and he says, uh, behold your mother. Uh, that doesn't surprise us. That is the fulfillment of the commandment to care for your parents, uh, to honor your parents. That is Jesus. He is always caring for someone else. Peter tells us in first Peter chapter two, that he bore our burden on the cross. So even on the cross, he was bearing the burden of what would happen to Mary and really also what would happen to John. Um, we're told in 1 Peter chapter 5 that we're to cast all of our cares on him because he cares for us. So none of that takes us by surprise. But now when you come to this fourth word, Matthew chapter 27, it is very jarring. It is very shocking. It is... It's troubling, it's disturbing because this is a cry of anguish. And you hear Jesus cry out in anguish. So take your copy of God's word and let's look right now. Go with me, Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, that's noon, this is, um, this is the way Romans accounted time. Uh, from the sixth hour, noon, uh, at the zenith of the day, at the height of the sun, darkness fell over the land until the ninth hour, until three o'clock in the afternoon. 
that's a, that's a much debated uh, event that happened. So many people have tried to explain that away just the same way they've tried to explain away uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection. Some have tried to explain this away. Some have said this was an eclipse. Well, an eclipse doesn't last that long. Um, and I'm not going to debate all of those theories. Others have said it was a sandstorm. I've been in Jerusalem in the middle of a sandstorm and, um, and a dust storm. And it doesn't, it doesn't do what this is describing right here. So what happened? I think it was supernatural. Um, I've got a verse down here that I want to look at. John chapter 12, verse 31. Let me, let me look at that, um, quickly and see how that ties in here. John chapter 12, verse 31. Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. That's what that darkness was doing. It was foretelling the fact that judgment now had come on the earth. Judgment now from God was about to fall. Darkness has always been foreboding. It is, it has spoken at times of judgment. In fact, I want to read you something out of the prophet Amos. If you go back to Amos chapter 8, and I know that's in a real clean section of your Bible. It's in with the minor prophets, prophets. But if you get there to Amos chapter 8, let me just, let me just read you two verses. Listen to the prophecy of this. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that I will make the sun go down at noon. Boy. And make the earth dark in broad daylight. Then I will turn your festivals in the morning. Remember, this was at Pentecost. And all your songs into lamentation. And I will bring sackcloth on everyone's loins and baldness on every head. See, it got to me. And I will make it like a time of mourning for an only son. And the end of it will be like a bitter day. Now that is absolutely breathtaking. That prophecy of what would happen on this very day and what would take place. Well, what is all this talking about? What does this mean? This darkness. Well, it was the darkness of judgment, as I just read to you out of John chapter 21. Uh, it is this darkness that comes on the earth because the judgment of God is coming. Do you remember back the darkness that God caused to fall over Egypt for three days? Right as they were to sacrifice the Passover lamb and to take the blood of that lamb and to paint it on the doorposts and over the lintel of the door. For three days, darkness fell over the land of Egypt before those lambs were sacrificed. Well, when God's lamb was sacrificed, three hours of darkness fell over the face of the earth. Something significant was happening. What was happening was this. The judgment of God was falling. Now is the judgment of this world. John 12, 31. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, to be placed on him. That was the first thing about this darkness. It was the darkness of the judgment of God on this world that fell on Jesus because of our sin. 
Let me give you the second thing about this darkness. It was the darkness of sin. Now, here is an interesting thing to me, a curiosity to me, and it's this. You can't help but see that this darkness does not speak of the darkness of sin of those who had rejected Jesus. Uh, the darkness of those who had nailed him to the, to the tree. And, and let me show you this in two specific ways, especially when it comes uh, to, the, to the leadership, the religious leadership, the Jewish leadership that cried out for Jesus to be crucified. They were in the dark when it came to the word of God, and yet they were experts in the law. Um, they were experts in the Mosaic law. They were grammarians. They were scribes. They copied it. They wrote it. They memorized it. They knew it. Uh, they knew it backwards and forwards. Uh, they, they understood it. And you would think in that moment when Jesus cried out these words, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? that their mind would not immediately go back to the Davidic Psalm, Psalm 22. Now, this week, I would encourage you to do this, especially beginning today, tomorrow, um, uh, or today, tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, read Psalm 22 and look at how David so accurately describes what happened at Calvary that day, the crucifixion. And David had never seen a, a, a cross. He had never seen a crucifixion victim. But listen to what he says. He begins that Psalm, Psalm 22, verse 1, with these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You would have thought that any of these grammarians, any of these scribes, any of these rabbis, any of these priests, any of these lawyers of the Mosaic law would have immediately identified what Jesus was saying. But the fact of the matter is they misunderstood. That's what they did with the Old Testament. They misinterpreted basically much of the Old Testament. When it spoke of the suffering of God's Messiah, they ignored it, like Isaiah chapter 53. They just simply set it aside, like, um, like Psalm 22. They just put it aside. They paid it no attention. They would not even bother with trying to interpret it. But only when it spoke of the glories of Israel to come, that's what they latched on to. Now, that was the kind of Messiah they wanted. We want a Messiah not to come and suffer for my sin. Who cares about that? What we want is for you to come and to make us free and to make us wealthy and to give us positions and make us look good and help us achieve rulership over everything else and everybody else. And so there was a darkness that was there <laughs> that concerned the word of God. Now I want to show you something. Why, why this darkness about scripture? Let me take you to Luke uh, chapter 11. And I want you to listen. Jesus is pronouncing these woes on the Pharisees. And he's going to come to that last woe there in verse 52 of Luke chapter 11. 11 and I want you to listen to what he says. Woe to you lawyers. Now, he doesn't mean the barristers like we have today. He's speaking of those men who were experts in the Mosaic law. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken, listen to Jesus, you have taken away the key of knowledge. 
you yourselves did not enter and you hindered those who were entering. He says, you've taken away the key of knowledge. And he says, you would not enter into that room of knowledge, which was the word of God. And he said, and you hindered those who would enter. There were those who were wanting to go there. Now, what is the key of knowledge? It's not a what, it's a who. It's Jesus Christ. When you reject Christ, you reject the key of knowledge to the word of God. You'll never understand it. No one can understand the word of God apart from the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And there is no infilling of the Holy Spirit if you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so they were blind. They were in the dark when it came to Scripture. Secondly, they were in the dark when it came to their own personal sin. They could not see that they were sinners. They could not, um, they could not understand that they were rejecting their Messiah. In fact, if you look over to Acts chapter 3, Peter and John go up to the temple and there's the lame man, the man who'd been lame from birth. He's sitting there by the gate, beautiful. And of course, Peter takes him by the hand and the Lord heals him, raises him up. And the crowd gathers around and they all saw this. And they began to, to run to the portico of Solomon in full amazement. And when Peter saw this, he said to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety, we made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, Barabbas but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. They couldn't even see. They were in the dark when it came to their own personal sin. Well, there's the darkness of judgment. There's the darkness of uh, sin. But now I want you to watch and I want you to see the light that works in the darkness. You come back to this. Here's the mystery. What is happening here? In the midst of this darkness, when man has done his worst, God is doing his greatest work. In these moments, when Jesus feels abandoned and forsaken by the Father, let me tell you something. The greatest work in human history was taking place. Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now I want to read you two, two verses and I'll wrap this up. Let me take you over to John. John chapter eight. And I want you to listen to Jesus in John chapter eight. Jesus said this in verse 29. You don't want to miss this. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Do you hear Jesus there? Jesus says, he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. You get on over to John chapter 16 
And I want you to listen to what Jesus is going to say now to his disciples. On that night, the night that he would be arrested, listen to what he says. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. In these hours just before he was arrested and crucified, Jesus is still saying, the Father is with me. I'm not alone. And then you come to these hours here when Jesus cries out and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, what happened in that hour? I can't explain it all. Part of that is part of the mystery of God and what God was doing in those hours there. But I can tell you this, God can't look on sin. And you see, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that he made him, that is God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him who knew no sin. That is the doctrine of imputation. Now, I don't have time to go into that, but what the father did was this, is he took your sin and my sin and the sin of every person. We say the sin of the world, but the fact of the matter is, the sin of every single person the Father took and put on Jesus' account. And he took the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he imputed it to us. He put it on our account. And so there on the cross, when he imputed sin to Christ, he could not look on that sin. He could not look at Christ. And so he turned away, and in those moments, that's what was happening. Christ felt abandoned by the Father. He felt abandoned by the Father, and yet in those moments when he felt like God was the furthest away, that God was actually doing his greatest work. Don't ever forget that that there are those moments you feel like God has abandoned me. Some of you feel like that right now. God has abandoned me. You may feel abandoned, but let me tell you something. God has never forsaken you. You see, Jesus was willing to be forsaken so that you never, ever will be forsaken of God. God bless.